those who are ruling over the delta are not from the delta. Those who milk the resources from the delta is like when uh, Royal Niger, Niger Company was there. They are not from the delta. That is where the basis is. So for us in the delta, we see it that there is an external imposition on the region. And that is where the problem comes. Now, the, the, the irony of it is that Shell, Chevron, Mobile, Exxon Mobile, Texaco, these companies are not operating as companies. They are operating as partners of the Nigerian state. The Niger Delta region is a significant player in the global political economy as a site of petroleum extraction. Multinational oil companies derive profits from hydrocarbons and have a substantial footprint in terms of built infrastructure, oil pipelines, terminals, and more, whilst the government makes use of considerable revenue derived from oil. However, all of these take place while there is dissatisfaction towards the petro industry by local communities who experience oil spills and pollution, land dispossession and aesthetic obstruction caused by visible pipelines running across their communities in the region. From the University of Cambridge and the Centre of Governance and Human Rights, I am Mary Jean with Lamaya Shirai. And we will be your hosts in this week's episode of Declarations. Today we are joined by our guest, Dr. Elias Carlson. Mr. Carlson is a lecturer in the Department of Philosophy at Niger Delta University in Bielsa State, Nigeria. He has carried out extensive research on the oil-induced crisis in Nigeria's Niger Delta and is currently part of a research team that received an APN Collaborative Working Group grant in 2017. Dr. Carlson earned his PhD in Geography from the University of California, Berkeley, in 2016. He was previously a Rotary World Peace Fellow at the Rotary Center for International Studies in Peace and Conflict Resolution and he is now currently a visiting fellow at the Centre of African Studies at the University of Cambridge. Welcome. Elias. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that uh, wonderful introduction. No problem. So could you please give us a snapshot of the Niger Delta and specifically how the concept of petroleum capitalism applies to the region and the communities in the region as well? Uh, the Niger Delta has been in the global capitalist economy, has been fixed to the global capitalist economy since the 16th century, during the slave trade period. From the 16th century, 17th century, 18th century, during the slave trade period, that was one of the regions where slaves were exported to the West. It was a major export region, a major export uh, post. It was a slave post. Now, after the slave trade, it became a center of global economy again during the palm oil trade. For that is the 19th and mid 20th century. And since the mid 20th century of recent, the hydrocarbon deposits, this is crude oil. How does this then all shape the current and contemporary landscape as it relates to oil extraction? The Portuguese were the first who came to the Delta. The Portuguese left the Delta for the British after the Berlin Conference of 1884. Now, when the British took over, they, what they did was 
to continue with the notes, the links that were already created by the Portuguese. Now, when the British were living in 1960 during independence, the British did not leave completely. They left the economic base. The economy was there. Because oil was actually discovered in 1956 in a small town in Otuabega in Bayelsa State called Uloibri. Oil was discovered there in 1956. Nigeria got independence in 1960. Now, when oil was discovered, it became a major source of income. From 1958, they began to export oil in major quantity. So Nigeria became, so the, the, the shell, which at that time was called the Kive, discovered oil. So Shell was a major company that was involved in the production. Later on, we now you have Chevron, you have Ajib, you have different uh, uh, Texaco. So you have all sorts of oil companies coming into the region. So, oil, But from that inception, from that region, from that development, this is the relationship between the capitalist industry and the people themselves has always been that of conflict. During the palm oil trade, that's to take you back to even now, not now, during the palm oil trade, maybe you have Jaja of Okobo who was banished because they did not allow the British to have direct access to the interland. The, the Jaja of Okobo was banned, Nana of Ichakiri was banned, uh, Banishiku of Okreka. And who are all these p- people that you're mentioning? These are, these are what we call the Niger Delta gatekeepers. They were like the middlemen who were standing at the Delta. They were the middlemen between the hinterland and the Europeans. But at a point, the Europeans wanted to get direct access to the produce so that they can buy at a cheap rate and bring to the West. But this middleman said, no, we had an agreement that you are going to buy from me. I stand as the middleman. So in order to erase them as middlemen, the British, Jaja of Okpobo was actually first banished to Ghana. From Ghana, he was banished to West Indies. Nana of Ishakiri was attacked and banished to Calabar. The Akasari, the Akasha people of Bayelsa State at that time said, no, you cannot just prevent us from not doing anything. You have taken all our trade. They went and attacked the headquarters of the Royal Niger, Delta, Royal Niger Company at that time. And the, gov- the uh, British government retaliated by destroying the old territory called Nembe today. We are more than 4,000, especially women and children, were massacred. So histories of conflict in the Niger Delta are historical. Histories of conflict, histories of uh, resources are historical. So oil is merely layered on those ones. Mm-hmm. So um, going back to what you've just, the picture that you've just um, given to us, it seems like, you know, of course, the, the oil complex has always been there and it's obviously very historically layered. But now coming back to the contemporary um, landscape, it seems as though obviously um, Nigeria has gained independence. It became a democratic nation um, in 1999. And currently, obviously, it's currently in its election cycle. The Nigerian government is now the constituent carrier of the revenue derived from oil. What can you say about the replacement of the former colonizer and the current um, government that has taken over and the exploitation of the oil industry within the regions in comparison to what the local communities would like to see happening? Nothing has changed. What has changed are the actors. Dramatists. 
the personal dramatists have changed, but the actions have not changed. Now, we have replaced the British government with a Nigerian local government, uh, that is internal government. We have replaced the British army with a Nigerian army. You have re we have replaced the Royal Niger Company with Shell, Chevron, ExxonMobil. The actions are the same. The, actually, the most important thing is before Nigeria gained independence, the Niger Delta people in 1958 at the London Conference, Dapa Brie presented a paper which has not been faulted to today. He said the treaties that the Niger Delta people entered with Britain is different from treaties that the interland enters with Britain. And he said there is nowhere it is written in those treaties that if Britain is living, it will hand them over to either another external government or an internal government. If you are living, leave us the way you met us. That issue is not resolved to date. So, what we have in Nigeria is just handing over Britain government, handing over to local compradors and to Nigerian government. Those who are ruling over the Delta are not from the Delta. Those who milk the resources from the Delta is like when uh, Royal, Niger, Royal Niger Company was there. They are not from the Delta. That is where the basis is. So for us in the Delta, we see it that there is an external imposition on the region. And that is where the problem comes. Now, the, the, the irony of it is that Shell, Chevron, Mobile, Exxon Mobile, Texaco, these companies are not operating as companies. They are operating as partners of the Nigerian state. There is what we call the joint venture partnership between the Nigerian government and these oil companies, where the Nigerian government takes two-thirds of the profit that is made in these companies. And who are, who are those ruling the Nigerian government? The major ethnic groups, the Yoruba, the Hausa, and the Hausa Fulani. The Yoruba, the uh, Igbos, and the Hausa Fulani. They are the three major ethnic groups ruling Nigeria. No Niger Delta is involved. So where you don't have your voice, where you don't have a say in how the resources of your people will be taken, then there will be backlash. And to generate a more in-depth insight into the contemporary political situation, would you say that the Niger Delta region has been high on the agendas of the respective political parties' campaigns, for example, or not so much? On this contemporary? Yeah. The contemporary fight, that's what the fight over the presidency the fight over Nigerian state is nothing but over the Niger Delta. Who controls the Nigerian oil? Who controls the Nigerian resources? The fight is over that. Today, if Nigeria is able to practice through federalism, where states are controlling their resources, where states are a little independent, you will see that the fight for the top will be less. But the fight in Nigeria is over who controls the Niger Delta oil. That is why the present political party is making everything possible to make sure we control the Niger Delta state. Because that is where the oil comes, that's where the money comes from. So the fight at the center, if you look at the center, the fight is not between political parties. The fight is between elites 
among the elites who control the resources of the Delta. And that is, by extension, the resources of Nigeria. Because in Nigeria, we have 36 states and the federal capital territory, which makes it 37, being fed by the Niger Delta. At the end of every month, everybody comes to the table. What is brought from the Niger Delta is shared among them. But who shares it is the federal government. Who is at the helm of the federal government? The three major ethnic nationalities. And over the years, the Niger Delta people have said, we are, feed, we are, fed, we are feeding 100 something million Nigerians. We don't have food on our plates. We cannot continue like this. That is where the problem comes. According to Amnesty International, the Niger Delta is one of the most polluted places on earth. As an environmental activist, what can you say about this? And why and how did you get involved as an environmental activist in the region? To say it is the most polluted is an understatement. The Niger Delta is not habitable. By all sense of responsibility. The UNEP report by UN, the United Nations Environmental Protection Report on Ogoni, said benzene, which is carcinogenic, which causes cancer, is 900 times in the Niger Delta, is, that is, it is 900 times more than the required value. People are dying of cancer every day in the region. Because you are drinking polluted water, you are inhaling polluted hair. The soil, everything is polluted. So people, but these are people who are not exposed to modern technology, facilities of health. So people just die. For to say that, oh, it's the most polluted, it's an understatement. The Niger Delta is completely polluted. Completely. And when I say polluted, polluted, that means... It is what uh, Sarah Uwa called the ecocide or omnicide. That every That's part, yes, Kensaro Uwa called it the omnicide. That every part of us is polluted. Because the air you breathe, gas is flared indiscriminately. We have 900 and something gas flare sites. So the air you are breathing, sometimes when you wear now in Portacot, you cannot wear a white cloth. When you wear the white, by the time you come home, you see the dots everywhere. It's stained. And are there any alliances between local communities in the region with communities in other parts of Nigeria that sympathise and can empathise with the plight of those communities in the Niger Delta? There, there are individuals, there are community groups that mm. actually sympathise with peoples of the Niger Delta, especially those who have lived in the region for long. Because during the Kayama Declaration of the Joy Youths, many people who are not Niger Deltans were part of the Kayama Declaration, were part of our movement, were part of our all our organizing. They were they understood that this what is happening here is not right. Can you just talk a bit more on the rise of the militancy in the region and whether these militants um, and the rise of the militants, was it as a result of them seeing themselves as, as representatives of the community and or as an attempt to voice out their concerns that were previously not necessarily taken and um, listened to by those in power? Uh, before Ken was, uh, fin Ken Sarowiwa was finally killed. Can you just give us a brief um, summary on who Ken Sarowiwa is? Ken Sarowiwa was the Ogoni uh, leader who formed MOSOP, the Movement for the Survival of Ogoni People. 
who said the government should give part of what is taken on from Ogoni land to develop Ogoni land. And that Ogoni have contributed more than 30 billion to the Nigerian coffers without getting anything for it. And he said, what we want is just give us a little of what you are taking from Ogoni land and make Ogoni a living place. Let them benefit. For that, he was arrested, tortured, and with, with time, in 1993, there was a riot where people were killed, and the government arrested him. And in 9, November 10, 1995, he was executed. During the military rule During the military rule of uh, General Shani Abasha. So, but the killing of Ken was deliberately done by government as a deterrence to other groups in the region. Even before Ken, there was before Ken what we call the uh, Umweshim. Umweshim was in 1990, a community that came to demonstrate that, oh, we are looking for a job. You are operating in our land. We don't have job. Give us job. For demonstrating, for peacefully, Chell sent the Nigerian uh, mobile police. We call them kill and go police. They just kill indiscriminately. And killed over 80 persons. Those were signals that we are ready to deal with communities. Community unrest over our operations. So when Ken was killed, it became clear to people that this is a non-violent man. This is a man saying, give my people a little of what you are taking from them. And you are killing him. And the world condemnation was able to show that drastic steps need to be taken in the Delta. People said we need to continue the non-agitation. Some of us said we need to continue the non-violent agitation. But like what... Uh, uh, people continue to say the mode of resistance will be determined by the, by the oppressor himself. The non-violent agitation continued. From Ken, it shifted from the Ogonis to the Ijaws. Ijaws is the largest ethnic group in the Delta. When the Ijaws took over the struggle, a, the youths of Ijaw nation made what we call the Kayama Declaration, resource control and self-determination. They said they want to control their resources. And when they say what they want to control their resources, what most Nigerians think is, oh, Egypt people are saying they want to take back, they want to have their oil. No. What we are saying is we want to have a say on how oil companies operate on our land. We want to make input on how companies operate on our land. We want to be in the board on how oil companies are operating on our land. You cannot wake up one morning. You see a bulldozer at the back or in your farm, clearing your farm, and you ask, what is happening? You are told the pipeline has to pass through the place. The indiscriminate, the, the obnoxious laws, there are obnoxious, the, the, pipeline, act, uh, the pipeline act of 1969, the law that deprives the people that all lands belong to the government. So wherever oil is found, now belongs to the government. They don't want to care whether you have a farm on it. It now belongs to the government. But what we are saying is that the same land, you come because mine has oil, you said it belongs to government, somebody did not, is farming. You don't say it belongs to government. So we are saying that those are laws that deprives the people. 
of their God-given resources. Because land is not just land. Land is the totality of my existence. My existence depends on the land. So whatever is to be done on the land where I live, I should be part of it. I should be able to tell share your pipeline should pass through either my sacred forest, or it shouldn't pass through my sacred forest, or it should pass through my community, or it shouldn't pass through my community. If you see the Niger Delta, pipelines are passing through communities. And that is a pipe, a surface pipelines passing through communities. And that is why it is easy for youths to detonate these pipelines. Ordinarily, pipelines ought not to be passing through a community. These are pipelines carrying crude, inflammable materials, yet you pass them through community because you indirectly you are saying that they are not human beings. But over the years, people have come to the consciousness that these things passing through our land is what is feeding the old Nigeria. Yet I have no food in my plate. Yet my land is... Now, over the years, the farming, fishing, which is their major occupation, has been destroyed. No, you can't farm anymore. You can't fish anymore. Now, the pollution is on place. If I take you to the Delta, there are pollutions that have occurred for the past 15, 20 years that have not been cleared. And as deep as six meters. That means when you bury, when you bury the dead, you are even burying them on polluted land. Six meters. And people are saying, we cannot continue like this. And when people say, no, you said because they are minorities, we need to quash uh, them. What we need to do is handle them. You send the military. Even it, it got to, in 1999, at the height of ment insurgency, a legislator start, stood up in Nigeria. And can you national, just um, explain, MEND, um, can you just explain the, what MEND uh, stands the for? the emergence of MEND, the movement for the emancipation of the Niger Delta, mm -hmm. a group that emerged in 19, late 1950, 2005 and 2006. They said, movement for the emancipation of the Niger Delta, that Niger Delta people should have a right to the resources of their land. Now, at the height of men operations in the land, detonations of pipelines and all that, men had, con uh, they were constantly having friction with the Nigerian military. Now, at the height of that, a legislator stood up in the Nigerian uh, assembly when government counter-insurgency was attacking uh, the neighborhood of Okarenkoko, uh, Benamatu, where men was operating. He stood up and said, oh, let us just wipe out all the Niger Delta people. That is a legislator in the Nigerian National Assembly. Ibn Allah. Stood up in, in the National Assembly. Oh, after all, let us wipe all of them out and take the oil because we need the oil. That is the thinking of some people. Because people are minority, just wipe them out because you need the oil. And that is the same thinking that has made people not to think that there are human beings living in that place and Shell need to be called to order, Chevron need to be called to order, Hajib need to be called to order that don't pollute the land. What is happening in the Naya Delta is environmental racism and environmental terrorism. What you don't do in your country, don't do in another place. So would you say that modes of piracy um, in the Niger Delta, for example, groups like MEND um, or groups like the Niger Delta People's Volunteer Force, for example, would you say that they're more political with their aims or would you say that it's more in regards to economic grievances or an amalgamation of both? The, the problem is we're on this question of grievances mm. and greed. One man's, one, man's, one man's freedom fighter is another man's criminal. Mm. 
depending on where you stand, mm-hmm. depending on where you are, you stand in the society itself. What you see, where you see him from, depends on the prison. From where you are looking at him. For people in the Delta, men may not be what people see it. Yet, for people outside the Delta, men may seem to be a criminal organization. But how do we reconcile the different interests without necessarily having to advocate or, or resort to any form of violence? The violence itself is based, is a response to government action. I was doing a, a field work in 2006 before I left for the U.S. Uh, for the Loose Fellowship. And I was talking to some of the youths and I said, oh, you are fighting a trained military. Who can kill? Don't you believe that non-violent is the best? And they said, he asked me, non-what? I said, non-violent. He said, do you do a non-violent where you are facing bullets, life bullets? So it is part of the resistance from the region is also part of what government is informed by the rest, the, the approach of government to agitation. These, these are also human beings. They can be called to meetings. Oh, this is what we are doing. This, see, every human being, nobody wants to resort to death. Nobody wants to die. Do you understand what I'm saying? Nobody wants to die. For a youth to be carrying gun, I want to go and face a, a trained military man. He knows he is going to die. But he sees that as the last resort. He sees that as the last resort. Nobody wants to die. If you if you go if you, when you go to interview some of these boys, they don't want to live. They want to also live a good life. But in if that good life, you are cut off from that good life, and you don't have any other means. You resort to whatever you have. That is what is happening in that place. So would you say the militants, well, the people operating in these positions, would you say that that they see themselves as representatives of the local communities? Yes, yeah. they see themselves as representatives of the local communities. But at a point, even the local communities, because if you go to the Delta now, it's like you are in a military barracks. Now, if you are going anywhere, especially with the boat, you have to be raping up. So, with the uh, reinforcement of military into the region, some of the community, wait, this is not what we prepared for. Then, disenchantment comes in. At first, they bought into it. Oh, this is good. Some of us said, no, this is not the right thing. Non-violent is the right way to go. Continue to do the non-violent. But, like I said, the non-violent, if you are do- when in the 90s, in the 90s when they were demonstrating, what they call Ogele. Ogele is a procession. They will be singing, dancing on the streets with white clothes, red coat tied. Then you see, oh, 10 people were killed today. Five people were killed, yes. Then they, some of them, that, that is where the ideological divide came. Some said, no, we cannot continue this in this form. Some said, no, let us continue. Those of us who, in, who were in the room, human rights angle said, no, we will have to continue. Some said, no, we have to go and look for guns and face the guns. They are guns. That was where the ideological divide came. So and that was how I'm saying it is the mode of res, res, uh, oppression, it is the mode of res, uh, repression that led to the invention 
of resistance as a as a measure. So are there so basically there because of the ideological divide, there are internal conflicts with the militants who use violence versus local communities who would rather have peaceful means of protesting. Yeah, there are. There are definitely. So there are local communities who feel marginalized by the oil companies and the government on the one hand, and also further victimized by the militants who advocate and use violence. Yes, there are. Some communities will tell you that, oh, we want to be peaceful. But now that is also shifting because governments are now going to communities and repressing communities themselves. So some communities now embrace those who are violent. Because if you are a community and you have seen government repression and some of your members are now going violent, you say, oh, they are only responding to the government's action. Do you understand what I'm saying? So for me, and clearly, this is not a... The Niger Delta cannot, problem cannot be solved by military. This is not a military problem. It's a political problem. You don't use military to solve a political problem. That the Niger Delta people don't have food in their place. Is it political? Is it military? It's not military, it's political. That their resources are taken away and they don't have... That their land is polluted. Is it military? It's political. Then you bring in military to come and solve that problem. The military cannot solve it. This is clearly a political problem. But what the government did was to bring in military just because of profit. So for me, you cannot use military to solve a political problem. It's a demand for civic nationalism. Oh, we produce the resources. We need to get back from our resources. Some of the laws you have are wrong. We need to revisit those laws. You have taken my land. We need to revisit. Those are civic nationalist, uh, nationalistic demands. Now, you want to use military to solve those problems? It's not done anywhere. And until government realizes that this is a political problem, not a military problem, that is the only way that Niger data problem can be resolved. This is a problem that can be resolved only through dialogue. So now we're in a, um, in the election cycle of Nigeria with um, the elections going on currently. And so it's, it's a time of reflection for many Nigerians trying to decide the way forward. What do you say is, you know, the, the, the direction towards peaceful, sustainable peace building and um, socioeconomic development and political dialogue between the different interests and different interest groups that are represented within these very contentious relations? Coming to the round table. We need to come to the round table. Nigerians themselves need to talk. Since the British left, Nigerians themselves have not come to a round table to talk, this is how we want to be governed. This is how we want to be ruled. Nigerians have never done that. Nigerian citizens themselves are not themselves. necessarily the elites and the leaders. Is that what you mean? The elites or leaders, the Nigerians Federation itself, they have not gathered together. We were brought together in 1914 by the British. The North and the South was amalgamated in 1914. If you look at the North, what is happening in the Boko Haram and all those, North has been always religious crisis. If you look at the South, the Niger Delta, it has always been resource conflict. Now you are bringing these two distinct people together. Now you want to say, oh, how do we live together peacefully? Now, but Nigerians themselves have not sat down to say, this is how we want to be ruled. Those who took over from the British only took over for self-interest. What they wanted was, oh, the white man was very uh, privileged. Now I can be in that privileged position. Now, to fight over these scarce resources within the state 
has caused contention within the three major ethnic groups. So for me, the, 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 the way out for Nigeria is still the round table. We need to come to the round table and say, this is how, we, if we are practicing a federalism, we should practice through federalism. Every state in Nigeria, the, the center is too strong. In Nigeria, the center is too strong. Whatever you want to get, you have to go to the federal. So the center is too strong. So that is why the fight for the center is vicious. But if we come together and say, oh, we have to practice federalism, let states control resources. If states will go inwards, there are states now. There are in the north, before now, the west was producing cocoa. It was with Cocoa West Beauty Universities, the first television station in the whole of Africa. How long have beauty with Cocoa? Then it was 50% of resources to the region. When the North was, Granot was the mainstay of Nigeria, the Granot Pyramid is built in the North. The North got 50%. When it came to oil, oh, it belongs to all of us. We are saying that is injustice. And now, after fighting over the years, in 1959, in 1999, they said, oh, we are going to give you 13%. But what we are saying is 13% derivation is 87% deprivation. And they said, oh, now we have given your state 13% for the oil you are producing. But why, where, what of the 87% left? What we are saying is give every region, because if we want Nigeria to progress maximally, Every state, so there, is, there are resources in every state. But because oil money is coming at the end of the month, everybody stays back. Nobody wants to farm. Because there is easy money. Everybody lays back at the end of the money. Everybody, governor goes, uh, uh, the, the commissioner for uh, resources goes to the national then they share the resources among themselves. You come back to your state, you pay your workers, you embezzle the remaining, you can embezzle, then you wait for the end of the next month. We are saying that we cannot move, make progress like that. Let, even if we are producing oil in the Niger Delta, let the Niger Delta states control their oil, then pay tax. Even if you are asking us to pay tax, 90% of the tax or the center is better because that way the states can tell the oil company where your pipelines will pass through. How you should operate. If you if if you are flaring gas, they can tell you to stop flaring gas in their community. That is what we are saying, and that people think that resource control is just oh they want it. No, resource control is for me to have a say on how you come and operate on my land. For me to be part of that decision making. It may it may look simple, it may look easy, but it's very important to the man who has been included in the decision making. It should be inclusive. Communities should be made. Part of decision making in the oil industry. When an oil company comes to a place, community members have to be involved so that they can tell the oil company that your pipelines will pass through here or there. But now you go to Abuja, you sign a deal with somebody we don't know. The next day, we see you with guns, bulldozers. You are bulldozing a farm. Then the owner of the farm comes, yeah, this small farm. You, the farm may be small to you, but that is what it depends on. The farm may mean nothing to you, but that is what his family depends on. Oh, because a pipeline is passing through that farm, it has to go. But though, is he fed by the pipeline? No. The man has to fend for himself. 
there's no social security in Nigeria where you maybe you say, oh, if the land is taken, he has to be given. The... No, nothing. So these are the issues that are the are the core of the problem. So for me, the political solution, the, the only solution is the dialogue and rethinking some obnoxious laws within a Nigerian state that deprive citizens of their fundamental right. The right to a good environment is contained. In the in the African Charter now, does the Niger Delta people have a right to a good environment? No, you can you, you you may have guns everything to suppress me, but I will still say it that what you are doing is wrong. Shell has a lot of money. Chevron has all the money in the world. Does the community have the money they have? No. So it for me, it is important that dialogue. Nobody wants to carry gun. Nobody likes carrying gun. I I believe that today, if government is sincere. Why did the boys drop their guns? In, in 2009, the boys dropped their guns. There was no gun. Because a gun, is, it was a, a mode of resistance against the state. But they all, we all know that it is not the right thing. It was a last resort for some of them. So, for me, the right way to go is the government calling everybody, calling the oil companies, calling everybody to the table and saying, we need to rethink. When there was fishing, when there was farming, there was no problem. But now people can no longer farm. They can no longer fish. So what do you want them to do? To stay and die? They will fight back. And that is what is happening. And I think that draws really well on our theme of community, both um, historically and in the contemporary situation in the Niger Delta um, and in Nigeria in general more broadly. So I was just wondering, do you have any lasting comments that you would like our listeners to hear before we wrap up the session? For me, and for most Niger Deltans, an alternative source of energy is very, very vital to stopping the conflict in that region. Because for if there is an alternative source of energy which is not oil-driven, the test for oil, the move to get oil, more and more oil, I think we die down. With that, I think a lot of conflict will fizzle out. But with oil at the end of the energy uh, pyramid, conflict will still uh, be generated. It has also become the economy of violence. It is a big economy in Nigeria, especially by the military. People are supplying the food to the military. People are supplying the fuel they use. People are supplying the food they eat. Everything is supplied. So those who are supplying it and those who are involved don't want the conflict resolved. It has become an, a big economy. And it is also a source by governors, by presidency to siphon money. Because they can say, oh, we have Niger Delta, we have deployed 5 billion naira for security. How are you going to account for security? The security vote. So it's also, it's, it's a complex, it's very complex. Because people are making a hell of money out. The military is making a hell of money out. Politicians are making money out of it. Everybody is making money out of it. The only people who are not making money out of it are the communities. To end on a more positive note, we 
obviously advocate for peaceful and sustainable peace building processes. Um, and you've mentioned as well that dialogue is certainly the way forward. Um, the oil industry and petrocapitalism as a phenomenon operates at the intersection of profit making, environmental concerns, the government and the impact on local communities on whose communities the oil is extracted. What can be gleaned from the discussion is the need for inclusive decision making with the marginalized local communities and inclusive ownership and control of the resources that are extracted from their communities. At each juncture, there are contesting interests that require a delicate balance for long-standing peace and sustainable development. So thank you very much to thank Dr. You. Corson for joining us on this episode of thank Declarations you. with the theme Communities. Thank you for listening to the Ninja Delta Position. So you can subscribe to Declarations on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Declarations Pod and like us on Facebook for updates. Tune in next time for more Declarations. Your host for today, me, Lamaya Sheree. And Mary Jean, thank you for listening. And this is Declarations.